Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> you got it. Just chat. You should have listened to Pitbull in before this episode. Channel your inner Miami. <laughs> yeah. Hola, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is places we've called home which means we are sharing the stories of ladies that are from or have lived in places that we, your favorite hosts, have called home. Whether we've lived there for a decade, two months, or two weeks, these are all places that felt like home to us. So for this episode, this is Jessica. We're going to my hometown, born and raised county of dead. 305 till I die, baby. Wow. You're talking about Miami, Florida. Yes, I have a lot of pride in my That's city. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. We are telling the story of Marion Manley, the first registered female architect in Miami. Que hola, seré. See? Let's go. I'm Jessica Rogers listening to my favorite Pitbull song. He is the ambassador of Florida. I don't know if you guys knew that. (laughs) My favorite Pitbull song is the 305 anthem from his 2004 debut album. And I'm coming to you from the city we're going to talk about. My Emma, Florida. And I have my fellow co-hosts, Lizzie and Richardy. Hey, girl. (laughs) Hey. I am Lizzie Rar, and I'm listening to El Taxi. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I'm Nergeti Rivas thinking, I know you want me mm-hmm. in Houston, Texas. That's right. Time for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information we find about each lady. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we'll all continue learning together. Okay. So before we get started, if you haven't caught the first few uh, seconds of this episode. I am really excited about this season and I'm excited to, to be, I'm excited to be talking about my city. I love my city. It's also known as the magic city. So despite the craziness that everyone hears about Miami, Florida, etc., you know, it's my home. 
Uh, we will talk about other places that we've called home this season. But, you know, I currently live in the place that I was born in. And as of last year, I've returned to. That's pretty special. You're the only one of us that can say that. That's true. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Miami. That's right. Everywhere that I've lived, I've always knew that eventually I would want to either settle in my in Miami or eventually retire here. So Miami will always be my forever home. So if you couldn't tell, I have a lot of pride and I am very excited to tell this story. The energy is palpable. Dale. <laughs> Dale. All right. So our story begins when Marion Isidore Manley was born in Junction City, Kansas on April 29, 1893. Both of her parents were school teachers, Charles Haynes, and her mother, Marion Isidore Jones Manley. Her father would quit teaching and go into banking while her mother would quit teaching after she gave birth to her nine children. Whoa. Uh, Marion being the youngest. Nine kids? That is so mm -hmm. many. Bless her mother. Mm -hmm. Goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so y'all know how I love childhood details, right? That you do. Yep. Well, all I got, besides what I mentioned above, was that she had a liberal upbringing. In the source that I had, it made the connection that Kansas was a hub for the women's rights movement, which I can see. But hearing what type of person she was later described as a woman ahead of her time, extraordinary talent with a strong personality, maybe it's because of her liberal upbringing and seeing women fighting for equal rights is the connection that I made. Yeah, that's really interesting. I did not realize that Kansas was a hub for women's rights, for mm -hmm. the women's rights movement. I often think of like upstate New York, but I have not heard mm. much about Kansas, but it sounds like it really shaped her. Yeah. Yeah, it's some pretty interesting history. I'm excited to learn more about this lady now. Yes. All right. So jump to college years. Marion would attend the University of Kansas for three years before transferring to the School of Engineering at the University of Illinois, where she would graduate in 1917. She would be the only woman in her class. And out of the 264 ladies that attended that entire school, she would be one of the 14 elected to Phi Delta Psi, their Women's Honor Society. Wow. Way to go, Marion. Go, woman, go. Okay, so check it. Right after graduating, Marion would go to Philadelphia for a spell, drafting warships for the emergency fleet during World War I. That's one way to help the war effort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of Esther McCoy from episode 68, who drafted planes for World War II. Oh, yeah. And it also reminded me of Dora God, who worked on ships, but mostly mm. the interiors of commercial ships. So a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dora, it was a little bit more leisure, maybe. Yeah. Not yeah, so much you know. for war. <laughs> she would only, so Mary would only do that for maybe less than a year before moving to Miami after her brother, Lester, encouraged her to go. Welcome to Miami. Bienvenido a Miami. Miami. It was right there. I mean, okay, yep, but side yeah. note, her brother Lester actually told her to come to Miami after he got a commission to pave a main street in Miami and saw that there mm -hmm. were lots of opportunities and architecture. So he's like, yo, Marion, you should definitely get down here. Nice looking out, bro. That's right. Yes, exactly. So let's see how much I talk about it, but it's interesting to learn about the history of Miami. During the 19, 
teens, Miami is becoming this bustling town with a lot of new construction. Staple names that I grew up with are popping up because of their namesakes. They are making moves. So, for example, Flagler Street or the Flagler neighborhood of downtown Miami is named after Henry Flagler, the man that basically founded Miami in 1896. So basically, the street Lester was paving was named after old Henry Flagler Street. Very cool. If only he knew the important piece of history he was paving. (laughs) Literally. 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 So when she moved to Miami, she would work for prominent architects of the area. And on September 6, 1918, she would receive her architectural license, making her the first woman to practice in Miami. And she would become just the third in the state of Florida to become licensed. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Congrats to Marion. Jessica, who are the first and second ladies to be licensed in Florida? Yes. So Agnes Ballard would be the first and Ida Anna Ryan would be the second. So future episode alert. Now, they didn't really practice in Miami, just other parts of Florida. So here we are. Gotcha. Agnes was also a politician. So maybe I'll talk about her sometime soon. Wink, wink. (laughs) Okay. So what stands out to everyone that it's something that keeps coming up across all of my research, is that when Marion gets licensed in 1918, she joins the AIA in 1926, but her certificate and her letter of like acceptance are written with errors all over. Like I'm talking about like, congratulations, Mr. Marion Manley. He is qualified. His requirements It's like the transcriptionists or the people issuing these documents couldn't physically write H-E-R. Say what? In that order. (laughs) (laughs) I can't with this. Like, who were they? Google Translate? Yeah. The light words. (laughs) Anyway, so Marion, with her new practice, she would go on to design some private residence. She designed an elementary school called Springview Elementary in the Miami Springs area. Far from me, but still cool. She designed the Miami Post Office and a federal building in downtown Miami. So cool stuff. That's cool. I like that she got a variety of projects to work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get your private work and civic work on, Marion. All right. So that was in the 1930s. Then our popular marker of time, World War II happens. Whoop! There it is. Always a toss-up as to how that affects the ladies. Could go a yes. lot of ways. Could go a lot of ways. Um, so in Florida, I guess, it was mandated by the state that all housing construction was halted. Basically, and everyone had to turn their attention to the war efforts. So no more private residences. I mean, that makes sense. But a bummer for people like Marion who are relying on that work. I'm hoping... She was able to find something related to the war effort to work on to supplement, question mark? I hope so, especially with her previous experience with ships. That must work True. well for her on her resume. Mm-hmm. You guys are on it. But before I get into that, so prior to the war, Marion, she worked, she, like I mentioned, she worked on like the post office and federal building. So she had worked on a couple of projects outside of residential. Yeah. Um, one of them also was the development of the University of Miami campus. 
So when the war broke out, they actually turned the university into a training facility for soldiers. And Marion would be the one to develop those training facilities because she was already becoming buddy buddies with the leaders of the university. Ooh, nice. Making connections. Mm -hmm. Rub them elbows. Rub them elbows. Rub them elbows. Okay, a couple of interesting things happened during this time. Since all of the men are off to war, Marianne becomes the president of the AIA South Florida chapter, uh, representing Florida and the Caribbean. So, hi, hi. Hi. Uh, She goes to MIT to learn about architectural urban planning. And then when the head of the University of Miami Development Department is traveling, Marion basically takes over and becomes like the university architect. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I mean, that does make sense. All the men are gone and Marion is there to hold down the fort. I hope it ends well, mm-hmm. though, with her, like, continuing to have places of leadership when the men come back. I'm loving it in the moment, though. Nervous about where it's going to end up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things in career growth for Marion. I, like Lizzie, am very excited for her, but also a little curious slash scared of what will happen when the war is over, because we know by now enough history to know that this may not end well. Let's remain optimistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, optimism is good, but we're going to get into some BS because <sighs> you guys were on the nose yet again. The war <laughs> is over. Yay. People are going back to work. Yay. The soldiers are coming home. Woo. The University of Miami is looking to expand its campus, you know, and uh, Marion, she's like, let me recommend this dude named Robert Lawi to help. And, you know, the she, didn't two of them create, she was like, we need more people to work. So let me recommend oh. this dude to come Got in it. and like, you know, and that, help that's, me with this. And help me help us together. <laughs> help me help you. Help me help you. And then I with this dude, you know, we will create this master plan for the university campus that we actually recognize it today. Like what she designed is what we see going through the streets of the University of Miami. Arc Venture. Yes. Uh, Now, the BS part is that Robert did work um, there with Marion, but he would get paid double what Marion would make. Of course. I I, I can't. (laughs) Not only did she recommend this man for this job, Mm -hmm. it's only because Mm -hmm. of him or it's only because of her that he has this job, but he got paid more than her, but like she was really the one hired for this job and he was just like backup or something. Getting paid double mm-hmm. for backup is just plain disrespectful. Like, mm-hmm. I just cannot. Yep. But like, literally, this happens every time. I know, I mm-hmm. shouldn't be surprised. I'm at the point where I think it's not that bad. Like, that's how bad this got. I really thought Jessica was going to say that Marion was fired and they hired Robert or that Robert was the only one that got credit and they wrote Marion out of the work. I've been gaslighted by history, you guys, to think that this situation is not that bad, you know? Oh God, I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. But terrible. 
I don't want to believe it. (laughs) I get it, but I don't want to believe it. You're right, though, that she kept her job and she was like recognized for it. But yeah, still. Yeah. Well, outside of Miami, I think most people would credit Robert. So, Nergy, you're not wrong. I would also like to think that if it wasn't for her connections, Marion at least was still kept in the loop and not just, you know, like plain old fired. So that's the highlight. So you're saying that she did sort of get sidelined, though? In a sense, yeah. But at least she didn't get fired. Like, not just like, oh, the men are back. You can go home. I guess she got sidelined because history remembers Robert more than they remember Marion, you know? Mm. Yes, exactly. So like, uh, but I will say that in Miami, uh, we know we know what is true. Okay. Okay. It made researching her a lot better. But anyway, in my research, they mention a lot of this BS that gets thrown at Marion. You know, like they mention how strong willed she was, how much of a strong personality she had. But they don't mention how she addresses these issues of like her name uh her gender being like misrepresented on her license or how she had to deal with this like getting paid double bs or the recognition that she didn't get during her time i am appalled for marion but Mm -hmm. like you said i wish we knew how she addressed these things but If we don't know, it probably means she tried to let it roll off her back and keep on keeping on, which, of course, I hate for her. But as we've seen through our research, it's kind of what you had to do as a woman in that day and age, unfortunately. Right. Like exactly. They were gaslighted by history, too. Right. (laughs) Part of me thinks that she was just like, hey, man, I just want to build things. It it is what it is. You know, can I go and build now? Uh huh. Yeah, which that's also very true of a lot of our ladies, right? That they're just kind of like, just let me be and do my thing. And probably mm-hmm. how you had to think of it almost to compartmentalize. Yeah, I'm sure otherwise it would eat them up inside too much. Like it does me yes. when I think about these things. Right. <laughs> yes. I also wanted to, I, I, I believe that Marianne was like, hey man, I just want to build things. Because her nickname was Archie. Because she loved architecture. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that, yep. <laughs> and despite the BS, Homegirl built all the things. Okay. For the University of Miami with that dude, Robert, she would build the memory classroom building, the veteran housing building, which is now the School of Architecture building. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Oh. The, she did the Ring Theater, the Baptist Student Center, and the St. Bede's Episcopal Church. And I'm not even naming all of them. She did a lot. Archie. Now that I know the reason behind it, that's kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, I was really confused. Like Archie, because yeah. all the Archies <laughs> I've ever heard of are Archibalds, right? Mm-hmm. So at yes. first I was like, where's this going? Like, <laughs> was she adopting a male name to get through the door or right. something? <laughs> but then when you told the full story, I guess that's a pretty witty nickname. Maybe I would have gone with Arky instead of Archie. I, Yeah. Hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, but did Robert get paid double for all these projects too? It did not say. I am hoping that 
when she did work for the University of Miami, that was the only case that sure. it was like that, you know, when it came to designing the overall campus. Uh, maybe I can find more info by the time we reach our wrap up. She did, you know, she worked outside of the university. She would continue working on residential projects. Now that the war was over, she was able to get back into that. And she is cr- credited for contributing to the aesthetic that is the Coral Gables neighborhood, a.k.a. it's like Spanish Mediterranean style homes that you will see all over that neighborhood. Um, you should also note that the Coral Gables uh, neighborhood is where the University of Miami is located. That's so cool. She set the tone for Miami architecture. Yeah, giving it a vibe, <laughs> building her brand. That's right. Yes. So Marion, she became buddy buddies with a lot of people that really set up what Miami is. One would be the Gulliver family uh, and a Miami icon figure by the name of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Oh, I recognize the name Gulliver. Yeah, you do. Because I wanted to mention Gulliver because there's a school in Miami, uh, in specifically the Coral Gables slash Coconut Grove area called Gulliver Prep. And a friend and listener to the show attended that school. Yes, that's why I know the name. Shout out to Fada. Hey, Fada. Yes. Okay, and then that other name, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Now, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, she was a conservationist and activist, and her crowning glory is her preservation of the Everglades. I call her an icon because the elementary school that I went to was named Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Elementary, and every student does a field trip to the Florida Everglades and... I honestly thought with a season dedicated to hometowns, I thought I would have to do an episode on Marjorie because, you know, I I mean, she's still a potential future episode because she was a remarkable woman. So yeah, she sounds amazing, too. I didn't realize a woman was like the spearheader behind the preservation of the Everglades. That's really cool. Mm hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the other reason why I bring up Marjorie is because her and Marion had a shared interest when it came to sustainability. Both were way ahead of their time. Marion would design houses and buildings using local materials, and she was very cognizant to not disturb the surrounding trees. That's so great that she's already thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. Hashtag support local. Uh, one of the resources that I had was this video perfectly titled The Most Welcomed Breezes. And in that uh, video, her friend and colleague Teresita Falcon pulls out this floor plan of Marion's and she is rolling this sheet open. Teresita is talking about how there wasn't air conditioning in this building and how Marion would design in a way that worked with the climate. So in her documents, she would make notes of you know, what kind of climate was there. And, you know, she would uh, write next to the entrance of the buildings, like that this specific area had this kind of breeze or that this specific area would have the most welcomed breeze. And I say that with quotes. That sounds so lovely. (laughs) Like, I'm just like imagining this idyllic space with a welcomed breeze. But 
I really like that she's trying to design around the climate of each site, right? Because it could be so different depending on where the air is coming from and whatnot. But let's be honest, you would have to consider that in Miami without air conditioning. You got to capture that breeze, Marion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like basic for hot, humid climates, right? That's the yeah. things we need to think about as architects. But I will say that I really like how she thought about it as the most welcomed breeze and would label <laughs> it that way on the plans. I think that's great. Yes. Right. So in 1956, Marion would be recognized as a fellow of the AIA. We know who the first was. It was Louise Bethune, episode nine. We talk about it. But I can't remember where she stood on the list, uh, where Marion stands in that list of female fellows in the organization nationally. But what I'm going to say next, I want to think that Marion was probably in like, say, the first 20. Um, because what I do know is that Marion would be the first female fellow representing Miami, and she would only be the fifth architect from South Florida. Yeah, girl. Irregardless of her number, she's a true pioneer, shattering glass ceilings left and right, up and down, <laughs> sideways, all, yep. all the way. Diagonally. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> So I didn't name drop earlier, but architects like Walter de Garmo, George Fink, Morris Lapidus, Phineas Paste, you know, they didn't get AIA fellowship. So when you read Miami architecture, these are the names that come up. Morris Lapidus, South Beach, Art Deco. That's him. That's the guy. Phineas Paste, head of architect of the city of Coral Gables. Architect's representative of Vizcaya, the iconic Miami building that is a must-see for tourist attractions. But none of them are fellows. Wait, so you're saying that these well-known architects didn't become fellows and Marion was way cooler than them? Ya tu sabe. Yep. Well, supposedly, pero like, ya tu sabe. That's it. Enough said. <laughs> I feel like Marion was so ahead of her time and was so focused on the future that she didn't have time to worry about what everyone else was doing. So if you notice, I never mentioned Marion's personal life. And according to her nephew, Marion never married. She had a series of lady companions and she would frequently take her later friends to Key West for vacay. Oh, okay, Marion. You do you, girl. <laughs> Look to me like Marion was super busy, pero like not for romance. I mean, supposedly she was super busy with her little gettys. She literally would go on a mission taking the guagua with her little chicas. But like Lizzie said, you do you, mama. That's it. That's it. No, Judy, that was a great Miami accent. I tried. <laughs> I gave it, it really my good. all. You did. And even though I'm in Miami, I felt transported. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on February 18th, 1984, Marion would pass away. According to her family, Marion was strong-willed, a smoker, a drinker, and a good shot. Family gatherings were made in her own time. Everyone would say that her greatest characteristic trait was that she was ahead of her time, which we've already said like a million times. 
she talked about sustainability. I didn't mention it earlier, but she also thought of the socioeconomic ramifications of this developing city. So she would work on affordable housing for the Coconut Grove area that served the underrepresented populations here. Chica was a smoker, a drinker, and a good shot. <laughs> I mean, what a description. <laughs> Dime que más. <laughs> she was a trailblazer, a ceiling destroyer, a fellow, a leader, a visionary, an inspiration to us all. I wow. Like, what a description of her. But <laughs> <laughs> like, she sounds like she knew what she believed in and went for it. And I appreciate that she was thinking about things like sustainability, affordable housing. It sounds like she really had a heart for the people in her city and how they might be affected by the work that she was doing. Yes. She also talked about how developers were busy trying to repair mistakes that were made in the past, but they were still making similar mistakes. She was referring to urban planning in this case. The film referenced what we saw at that time and today in Miami. Uh, which is things like traffic congestion and overbuilding. So learning this, I wonder what her thoughts would be of what is happening, you know, more recently and more notably, like the pedestrian bridge collapse that was like five years ago and the current conditions of certain high rise residential buildings that have also collapsed. And there are others that have had that are in similar conditions. So it's like what she's talking about is still happening today. Yeah. Yikes. I feel like she'd have thoughts about that. Sí, claro. Mm -hmm. mm. All right, ladies. Now we have reached the second half of the episode, The Carotid. Lizzie, can you like tell us like what a carotid is? <laughs> sí, claro. A carotid is like literally a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or a Greek style building. Every episode will supposedly choose a caryatid, <laughs> a woman who's working today, furthering the profession through her work and who ties in to the historical woman of our episode. Like literally. Like literally. That's it. So this, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's caryatid goes to... <laughs> Jacqueline Gonzalez to Jacqueline. All right. So if I'm talking about Miami and I'm talking about architecture, I'm talking about Tuset Studio. You know, in Miami, we have a lot of big national firms with headquarters here. But Tuset Studio seems like quintessential Miami. You know, Jacqueline, she or Jackie. Because I met her. She started her firm to set studio with her partner, Carlos Prio to set. He's also a fun dude. Their studio is located in Coral Gables, where they do projects in Coral Gables. And that's the. That's it? She only works in Coral Gables? No Disney? The beach? The key? Bueno, no Disney. But like supposedly, you know, one of our lady she did do projects in central florida but like jackie and to set studio bro they worked like literally all over the world Ooh, i'm feeling a connection with marion though demon so jackie 
She graduated from Cornell. She is a champion for a sustainable future. She's interested in building a community of coastal resilience. And she is the chair of the Resiliency Committee on the board of MRED, the University of Miami School of Real Estate Development and Urbanism. She was a trustee of the History Miami Museum, and she is an AIA advisor to the Sea Level Rise Committee. My goodness, what an impressive resume. Yeah, it sounds like Jacqueline is working really hard to focus on Miami and sustainability efforts, just like Marion was. I'm excited to see what else she's going to do in her career. Me too. In other exciting news, today we are going to visit the Agora. In Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we're going to share some good news and celebrate our listeners' wins together. Listeners, Kelly Hayes Macaloni. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, but if I'm not, please let me know. Shared with us the exciting news that she has published a book about one of our ladies, Louise Bethune, episode nine, mentioned on this episode today. The book is called Louise Blanchard Bethune, Every Woman, Her Own Architect. I mean, what a great title. I really like it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Also, Kelly has launched a website dedicated to Louise's life. It's louisebethune.org, and we will post a link to it on our show notes, so be sure to check those out. And last but not least, the University at Buffalo Libraries will be opening an exhibit on Louise in late March 2023. At the same time, UPenn is starting an exhibition on Minerva Parker Nichols, the first woman in the United States to practice architecture independently. I thought it was Louise, but it was not. It was Minerva. You can find out more about all these ladies, all about all that exhibit, those books, everything that I just mentioned on the website, louisebethune.org. So go straight to our show notes for the direct link. Congrats to Kelly for all of this amazing work. Thank you for working so hard to share more about Louise. Yes, we love it. Yeah. Kelly mentioned in her email that she's curious about what our thoughts will be on Louise after reading her book. So I am very intrigued and cannot wait to read her book and listen to our episode again. And maybe we'll do a charrette in the future about this. So stay tuned. I'm actually particularly Kelly. Yeah. I wonder what you'll think, Lizzie, since Louise was your lady. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if the book changes our thoughts on Louise at all or Even if it just gives us new perspectives on her and her work or like how she thought about it, too. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I bet it does. We've read some writings about Louise after the episode. So uh, and it's it's brought a lot of things to light. So I'm sure this will bring more information to light. For sure. Also, I want to try to figure out how I can get to Buffalo in March. I want to see this exhibition. Oh, even though that's like a. either happening as we speak or in like the next two weeks so yeah (laughs) (laughs) or it already happened i don't know let's put a price um, alert yeah a weekend trip to buffalo (laughs) a weekend trip to buffalo 
All right. We are at the end of our episode. But before we say see you later, uh, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music and John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank you all for literally listening. We also want to give a shout out to the Manley family and the University of Miami Archives. They were a really great resource for me uh, for this episode. I want to give a shout out to her great, great nephew and her niece that made this little documentary on Marion that I used a lot for this episode. The link is on our show notes and it's the film that I mentioned. The most welcomed breeze. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's really cute. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of these resources on this episode, as well as pictures of the projects that we've talked about. We hope you've enjoyed learning about Marianne and Jackie along with our banter and that you're inspired to find more about these ladies and other professional women out there. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, the students at the university, the professors, your AIA fellas, your chicas, everybody. Give us five stars on iTunes and on Spotify and write us a review. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SheBuildsPodcast and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Listeners, buy our merch. SheBuildsPodcast is proud to announce that we got that merch. So be sure to check out SheBuildsPodcast.com for that. Grab some SheBuildsPodcast swag and tag us on the social media. And that's it. Until next time, like, uh, bye. Adios. Bye. What's your favorite, Jessica? I I definitely like his his first album back in 2004. And the 305 Anthem, that's the name of the song. Also, because a lot of these other songs have bad words. So, uh, like, I don't want to say my favorite song is... Ah, that's a good one. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. 
Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.